Would you like to see what heaven looks like? Would you like to see it? I gave you a picture of it today. If you don't have one, look on. This, well, kind of. This is a picture of heaven, sort of. I'm stretching it a tiny bit, not much, but I'm going to give a sermon today, again, like I did last week, on the epistle that was read today in Exodus chapter 25, verse 9, God is giving instructions to Moses, who is now up on the mountain, Sinai, and he's been up there for a while. And God is giving instructions to Moses. He's given him the Ten Commandments and so on. And then he says, and I'm paraphrasing just a bit so that you get this clearly in your mind, he says, I want you to build a structure on earth and I'm going to show you what it looks like in heaven. And what you see in what I show you, that's what I want you to build on earth. And this is what he built. This is what he built. And I gave this to you last time, and actually I've done this uh, uh, probably several dozen times in the last 11 years. I get frustrated because it is so hard to conceptualize just by my simple descriptions. You know, last week I said it's, 170, it's 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, 7.5 feet high, it's a fence, it's a 30-foot entrance just inside. There's an altar, a burnt offering. Just back of that, there's a wash basin or a laver, and behind that there's a, a, a rectangular tent divided into two pieces. It's all there. Do you see it? Do you see it in front of you today? Well, it's really important for you to see it because it gives you a picture. It gives you a type of what we are going to do today and what we actually are doing. Particularly, I have in mind two things. Two things. One is this. Thine own, thine own, we offer unto thee in behalf of all and for all. I never like to say what the most important thing we in, do in the liturgy because that's very complicated and actually quite dangerous. Everything is important, but I'll promise you that's really important. And the second thing that I'm focusing on today is this. The holy things are for the holy. I want you to understand these things. As a matter of fact, my goal today is that when we offer, when we get to thine own of thine own, we offer unto thee, I want you to be joined into that with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with every power that you've got. And when I say thine own of thine own, we offer unto thee, it is not I and the deacons that are doing this. It is all of us. Every single one of us in here is doing that. It is we who are offering to the Father, thine own of thine own. Now, we're going to have a little tiny lesson in theology first. You keep this picture in front of you. You're going to need that. But, thine own of thine own. First of all, who is the thine? The thine is the Father. Almost all the prayers, not all, but most of the prayers in the divine liturgy are aimed, are prayed to the Father. This surely is. Okay. And so when we say, thine, thine, that's the Father. Thine own, of thine own, who's the own? 
It's the Son. Thine own of thine own. It is the Son. We're going to say that in the Creed too. The only begotten of the Father. Thine own of thine own we offer unto thee. So when I say thine own of thine own we offer unto thee, we are offering to the Father whom? We're offering his Son, the incarnate, the in the flesh, Christ. That's who we are, off we are offering. Now, in this little picture I included for you, now someone, I know someone's going to come up afterwards and they're going to say, okay, you're going to probably have a PowerPoint presentation next week and we're going to make this a, a Protestant megachurch before we're done. No, I sort of breathed hard before I even put this in there. No, I won't come with PowerPoint. But I do want you to see this. Last week, I gave you this description of the Day of Atonement. That was the two goats that were offered on that day. And I want to just review a tiny bit of that. I said on that day, only the high priest vested, and he in a little bit different way than he normally did. And two goats were brought, and they were brought to the entrance outside this 30-foot entrance. They were brought out there, and they were given to the high priest. One of those goats, the, the high priest laid his hands on both of those, and that is symbolic of two things, at least, maybe many more, but at least two things. It is typological or a picture of uh, the high priest lays his hands on the head of those goats. Two things. Number one, our sins get laid, the sins not just of the high priest, but of the people, this is Yom Kippur, this is the Day of Atonement, and the sins of the people, everybody's sins, are laid on the head of that goat. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that is, the Christ to come, the sin of us all. Even as the priest laid his hands on those goats, symbolizing that those sins were laid on him, so the Father lays on his Son the sins of us all at the cross. Okay? That's one thing that is symbolic of. A second thing that it is symbolic of is an identification. When someone asks, what's the big difference between Orthodox and maybe uh, other uh, Christian faiths. Well, you know, you got to be a little careful when you get picky there. And I don't want to be picky. But in salvation, our focus is more on being brought into a living union with Jesus Christ than on Christ, than, than, than a penalty for sin being paid. We're not going to call it heresy or anything like that. We understand that there's a forensic, there's a legal part that's played in there, but it's relational that we like to focus on. We are brought into a union with Christ. Both of those are symbolized in this laying on of hands. And then the one goat, what happened to the first goat? What was done with it? What was done with it? Remember last week? It was let go, right? It was taken out. Somebody took it way outside the camp, and it was, it was never seen again. It was the scapegoat. And I said last week, just a demonstration, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now the second goat. The second goat is slain, and it is not offered at this point on this burnt altar of burnt offering, but some of its blood of that goat is taken 
past, I know you can't see this, but you know roughly where I am. And those who hear this on the radio, you'll miss it, but you'll have to put it in your mind. The high priest goes past the altar of incense. He goes past the laver, past that wash basin. He goes through the veil into the first part of that, into the holy place. He gets in there. The only light that's in there is from this lampstand on the left, but there's the, this table of showbread on the right. He goes past the altar of incense. He's already been there before today and even burned some incense inside. This is the only day he goes in there at all, the only time anyone goes in there on this day. And he goes inside, and before the Ark of the Covenant, the box, sort of like an orange crate, covered with pure gold, and its lid, called the mercy seat, with the two golden cherubs on it, facing one another over the top. Uh, he sprinkles seven times, that's perfection, he sprinkles the blood of that goat before the Ark of the Covenant and its mercy seat, and the people's sins on that day are forgiven. Now, that's a picture now, there was some reality to it in this. Do not misunderstand. This was not just some silly exercise that the people went through for our sake alone. It was real. This was the Day of Atonement. This was Yom Kippur, cleanse. That's what Kippur means. It's the day, Yom, the day, Kippur, cleanse. It's the Day of Cleansing, the Day of Atonement. And it was real. But it, was, but it had a greater reality, and that's what was read about in the epistle today. Hang on, I'm just going to read part of it. Brethren, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, then through a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, this is the one made with hands. This is the one that Moses had built. This was a picture of a greater one. The one on earth was real too, but a greater reality as it were. And he entered that, Christ entered that. He entered once for all into the holy place, taking not the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The word I love particularly in that last clause is securing an eternal redemption. Not some maybe thing, not some hope so thing, but securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling, you got this little page, for if the sprinkling of defiled persons, persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, keyword, offered himself, offered himself without blemish to God and purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living and pure God. So, Christ, in the greater reality, entered into the temple not made with hands. He entered into the one in heaven, from which the one on earth was merely the best pattern that could be done on earth. He entered into that, and what did he do when he got there? He offered himself. 
his own body and his own blood. He offered himself and he entered once for all. On the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the priest went in there, he did that sprinkling thing, and he was out. At a later time, they even tied a rope around the high priest's leg in case he died while he was in there. Because if he died while he was in there, no one dared go in there. They were afraid they would die, that they would be struck dead. So they tied a rope so they could pull him out if he happened to die while he was in there. And some of those high priests were older than I am, and they might have died. It was a good idea, maybe, I don't know. At any rate, he went into that heavenly holy of holies, and as a matter of fact, remarkably, and you may not hear it today, but in the liturgy of St. Basil, in one of the prayers, we actually address the Father. We say, Oh, you holy of holies. We address the Father himself as the holy of holies. Incredible. So, what are we going to do today? With that picture you have in front of you, what we're going to do today is we, not I, not I and they, not I and just the altar servers, we, we are going to enter into that heavenly holy of holies, and with him, we are going to offer the only acceptable sacrifice that can be offered. And it's offered for what? Well, it's offered for our salvation. Now, some of you get scared to death about your salvation, partly because you trust that if you do the right things, you'll be saved. If you just live right. Well, it's a good idea to live right, but they ain't going to get anybody saved not going to do the job. You're going to have to have the acceptable sacrifice. You're going to have to have the acceptable offering. And what we are doing today together, we are going to bring all of us, if you'll join in, and you join in in your heart and with your mouth, you join in and we are going to do this. Thine own of thine own we offer unto thee in behalf of all and for all. What's the deacon doing when I say that? He is holding up the body and the blood of Christ. That's what we're offering. Who's offering? We are offering. All of us. We are offering the acceptable sacrifice, the only one, the without blemish Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we call the peace. After Easter, I'm going to bring the preparation table out here again. Haven't done it for a year or two. I'm going to bring the preparation table out and show you how we prepare all that because we are offering the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And He is the own of thine own. Thine own of thine own. Doesn't that make the divine liturgy a little more exciting? If you understand what you're doing? You're offering to God, you're making a sacrifice, you're doing something that even the high priest of the Old Testament couldn't do. Why couldn't he do it? Well, he just had blood of, of bulls and goats and calves. What have we got? Well, we've got the blood of Christ, who through the eternal covenant has brought us to God in a new covenant. Remarkable. It's absolutely astonishing. He went in, and he didn't come back out. He's still there. And there's still that offering for our sins that's being made. And then, that's just part one. 
thine own of thy own we offer unto thee. And then, the holy things are for the holy. One is holy, one is the Lord Jesus Christ. But what do we mean when we say the holy things are for the holy? The holy things, what are the holy things? Well, it's the body and blood of Christ, right? That's the holy things are for whom? The holy, who are the holy? Come on now, you don't want to say it. It's you. The holy things are for the holy. The people that are set apart to God. That's who it's for. So the holy things are for the holy. We're not offering this for angels and archangels, folks. We're offering this to God, and then we are going to partake of it. So today, particularly, will you join? Will you join with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Will you join with everything you've got in you? And we join in, and we offer unto thee. We ought thine own of thine own. We offer unto thee. And then when you partake, will you partake of the holy things for the holy? That's what the epistle was about today. So join in with all your heart.